0: Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. In February 2022, I moderated a Reuters events webinar focused on digitization and its impact on the global commodities trading market. Panelists were Christine McWilliams, Managing Director at Citi. Carl Larry, director of sales at Wood Mackenzie's Genscape, Scott Welcome, director of grain risk management at the Goodmills Group, and Carl Wegner, CEO of Contor. Our discussion ranged from how digitalization is changing pre-trade practices, post-trade practices, what risks it introduces to the system, and some of the costs. This is a recording of a webinar, so some of the sound quality might be a bit different to normal. I also want to take this opportunity to say that I will also be moderating panels at the Reuters Events North America Commodity Trading Event in Houston on the 7th and 8th of June. I hope you can join us there. As always, if you enjoy the show, please do leave a positive review on the platform you're listening on. It really supports the show. It encourages those platforms to highlight the podcast to new audience, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to this Reuters Events webinar focused on digitization and how it's transforming the commodities sector, not only into the decision-making that goes into trading, but also the post-trade processing and execution, as well as introducing some other risks and costs to the sector overall. My name is Paul Chapman. I am the co-global head of HC Group, a search and advisory firm focused on the commodities markets, and also the host of the HD Insider podcast, a podcast focused on conversations in the commodities sector. As we go through, We'll be inviting questions from the audience, as well as have a Q&A at the end. To introduce our guests, our panellists, firstly, we have Christine McWilliams. Christine is the Managing Director at City and Co- Global Head of Commodity and Energy Trade. We've also got Carl Larry, Sales Director of Wood McKinsey's Genscape. We have Scott Welcome, Director of Grains Risk Management of the Good Mills Group, a leading milling group in Europe. And finally, Carl Wegner, CEO of Contour, blockchain-enabled technology platform focused on post-trade solutions for the commodities sector. So thank you all for joining. I want to start with pre-trade, the decisions that go into how we're making decisions for commodity trading. Over time, the amount of data, the sources of data has radically changed and increased. For you, Carl, larry how are traders, what data are they capturing, what are the sources and how are they processing it?
1: Well, I think we're in a time right now where I think it becomes even more obvious and evident and necessary that when you look at the data that's coming in prior, before maybe a commodity trader would just be specific to their commodity, but now you see it goes across commodities. You know, one is affecting the other. Not even just commodities, but interest rates, uh, economic uh, economic numbers, uh, the, the health of the economies, and obviously geopolitical issues also. So all that data now gets really processed into. You know, what is the next move? What could be the next move? And what should we do? We're doing next.
0: Over time, there's been a transfer of that data being very much proprietary from the assets, from proprietary sources for trading houses. And that's been an edge to it becoming increasingly public and more and more data coming from public sources like Twitter, even, for example. Maybe, Scott, you can help us understand how, the, how that has changed over time and how traders are trying to capture that data.
2: Certainly has changed over time. And you're right about Twitter. I mean, definitely one when Mr. Trump was in charge in the US, there were people just watching the Twitter screen to to enact their trades. But I think it's it's learning to collect the clean data, learning to get rid of some of the, the white noise that's around. That's been a very difficult thing. The integrity of the data, also checking it, not just relying on, on what you receive from other people as being fact. And then get it into a clean format, in a localized format, because if you have data that's everywhere around your organization, that's no good. It needs to be in one location. So it's been a long, drawn-out process for us, but something we've had to do as, as you say, more and more data is available and pretty much easily accessed by
1: everybody.
0: Yeah. Uh, staying with you, Scott, is the edge still in proprietary data or is it about processing capability of an organization to capture
2: it? I think it's a bit of a mixture of both I don't think you, you can't be successful without some some skill in both sides of it for us in our industry proprietary data we think is our advantage because we are the leading middle in europe and so that data we have we don't feel everybody else can have so yeah I think it very much depends on the industry and, and how you're set up as, as a company but some mixture of both it, it would be vital to, to make it a success
0: Carl Wagner you're working with clients around the world on on how they, they process trades, are you seeing this change in how much investment is going into capturing that data and then processing it? And where do you think the the crucial elements lie?
3: Yeah, no, obviously, COVID has changed you know the whole world completely and not relying on paper, putting things digital, and and again the the emergence of uh, platforms uh, like ourselves or you know blockchain platforms where data can be. Shared without sharing everything. No central database. So, distributed ledger is an opportunity to share, to share just what you need, but you you maintain your own data. And I think that the fact is, COVID has said, you know, we need resilience. We 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 need the ability to collaborate more. And I think that's the key thing. As as I think Scott was saying, right? It's a little bit of your own data. You have to keep your own data, but your data is much more valuable when you collaborate and coordinate with other data.
0: Yeah. I want to come back to the issue of reliance on backward-looking data later on in the discussion because obviously there's world events that have gone on like COVID that you mentioned that have radically changed markets that won't be reflected in historical data. Christine, you know, how are you seeing your clients? Is it giving you as a financier of these, these traders more comfort in the decisions they're making, the risks they're taking?
4: So as, as we're all saying, the emphasis data has really accelerated in the last couple of years. And I, I think that alone is, is interesting because the trade space remains pretty paper-intensive. You know, we're, we're working to change that, all of us, but mm-hmm. it's, it remains pretty paper-intensive. And some of that is because of local jurisdictional laws or domestic uh, forms and warehouse receipts and things like that. So, so the transformation of, of things into a truly end-to-end digital format, I think, is going to be a bit of a journey, but we've seen how important it is in the last couple of years, and we've mentioned COVID a few times, but going back a couple of years, we saw a a slate of uh, fraud events as well, where financial institutions did not receive their money back or go through workouts because of uh, financial um, issues with borrowers, uh, in some cases, allegations of fraud. And having a digitized platform and data in a digital form clearly offers you the opportunity, um, not the requirement, but the opportunity to clamp down a little bit and get a little more comfort around the origin of that data and who's changing it and who's adjusting it. So, so I see the overlay is there's a lot clearly a lot of efficiency and effectiveness in in digitizing. You get the convenience of working at home and working internationally. Reduction in fraud. Um, you also get, as, as we were saying here, this idea that post trade then you have this wealth of information that you can then start to do real quantitative analysis on and that's where we do see the traders turning is heavy data and that i've heard some say that you can get higher than it anymore unless you have a computer science or or a or you're really comfortable working with data it's it's a
0: requirement just staying on the pre-trade side is this an element of these are very costly to build. And there's a decision point about whether you're building that capability yourself to capture the data, process it, or you're using a third party. And that has lots of challenges around integration versus the maintenance cost of having your own system. But is there trading houses of now not to be huge data consumers and processes to make these trades? Maybe Carl, you could, Carl, Larry, you can uh, talk to that.
1: I think what we're talking about here is the necessity. I mean, it's, it's, if you if you date back we talk talking about historical it's a necessity of having a mobile phone it's a necessity of having a computer that's a necessity of having a large computer you know a faster phone now, you know we need this now because you know we're not consultants we're not giving you a 20 year forecast we're trading on the markets right now as they happen so you need to see the data that's coming in whether it's proprietary or third party or or just public but you need to have it so you can analyze it and then you do need that human component to un- understand What does this really mean? I mean, if we're just looking at statistics and and numbers that may say the market's going to go up or the market's going down, you have to have that human factor in there going, okay, hold on a second. This means this, but we see this going on here and that changes our our, our view of it all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe Scott, because I I know this is obviously a live question in most organizations and, and you sit over this function. These are costly to build. It might also not tell you what you're looking to hear, or it might just tell you what you already knew. How do organizations do you think need to go about investing in still staying on the pre-trade side of things in their data capability for their traders? And, and in your view, how, I mean, that's a big enterprise to, to undertake.
2: Yeah, I think first and foremost, you need to, to have some clear idea of of the return that this investment is going to give you like you would do with any investment. And that's how we looked at it. Our primary focus is a food processor, and so a big chunk of our investment every year is in the maintenance. the upkeep, the the improvement of our twenty four facilities in Europe. But as time's gone on, we've seen that we need to invest in our digital footprint, and and we've done that. And as you say, we're not we're not a uh, we don't have any data engineers or anything like that. So we've had to outsource a little bit of that, and that's where we've gone down the investment route by by working with third party companies with our information. Explain to them what we what we want. There's there's a couple in the UK, Chai and No Flyer that we work alongside, and that's how we've started the investment a little bit at a time. We will see what information we get back. We will see if we can use it in a meaningful manner. Because again, if it's just information that doesn't really help us, then that's not, not, not that's a waste of time. So that's how we're looking at it now. What we can see as as a return on investment now, and then what we can see that we can grow into and use more as we move forward and get more comfortable with it. And then that, that becomes a bit of a change mindset for us as, as well as a group.
0: Yeah. And we'll return to this aspect in a little bit, talking about that human factor that uh, that Carl Larry mentioned. So moving on to the post-trade side, once these trades, the, the decision has been made, the trade is executed. This is an area where there's significant opportunity for cost reduction, compliance, meeting with compliance and so forth, um, and also in a world where commodity financing hasn't quite caught up with the current volatility and, and trading requirements in commodities gives reassurance to banks. Christine, how has Covid accelerated the willingness of organisations and also the number of platforms that are trying to be to provide solutions to make this more an efficient space from operations through to reconciliation, et cetera?
4: Yeah, I think uh, it certainly has been accelerated by COVID. But I think also, again, there was a, there was a slate of challenges, um, primarily in Asia and the Middle East, that uh, encouraged banks to think about how we could either uh, further reduce fraud. And, and then I, I think there's also the volatility in the market today that you mentioned, and trying to, to be more efficient and get hold of that has really accelerated digital. and I think we'll continue to propel it there's some challenges around it. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. But you mentioned reduction of costs. I think most people think of efficiency and straight through processing. And absolutely, uh, that's the case. I think Carl Wagner would agree that, that, that that's certainly possible. And so the challenges for us really is around getting the, the process itself with bills of lading, warehouse receipts, uh, and different types of documents, not all of which are documents of title, digitized across jurisdictions. And as I mentioned earlier, so that's a, that's a challenge, but it's also um, an opportunity that would increase the efficiency. But when you think about reducing costs, I think there's also another layer to this, and that is um, around monitoring your collateral. And so, as a financial institution, when we think about commodity trade financing, then oftentimes uh, the underlying commodity is the security for the transaction that helps the borrower in a bank or a bank group feel comfortable. And being more digital helps the parties in in monitoring the collateral real time, and then also reducing the manual or physical inspections that need to take place, especially when the storage or transport provider is a third party who could provide um, digital documents. And so then they're coming directly to the financial institutions, either through through a digital platform or just directly to the, the agent bank or the banks, but it's coming directly from that third party storage and transport provider. So it has the potential to, to reduce the number of physical on-site inspections, which cost money, take time. So I think you've got that benefit as well. And then something that City that, that we're doing here in Citibank is um, we are also able to connect via our cash management accounts via API into digital platforms so that the collateral monitoring that we do when we're the cash management bank, then we can allow lenders and ourselves to see real-time cash balances that come through our cash accounts, and we do that via API. And so we're really pushing quite hard to participate in this. We see, yes, the obvious cost reductions, but then some of these other overlays that I'm referring to around collateral management. Some of the biggest challenges that we have in doing it, though, Paul, is is I mentioned the local paperwork. Also, um, the regulators don't yet recognize that digital platforms provide additional comfort around collateral, and so when you think about the sunk cost of a tech platform, you're working with reg- set of regulators who don't recognize it. Therefore, you don't get that risk capital benefit, and yet you're making this expense um, against some sunk costs that you have to um, worry about. And, and you know, you might you might say we should, should ignore that, but still, um, unfortunately, oftentimes still becomes relevant. So you're weighing those those uh, cost factors. However, we've We've decided to, uh, to jump in and do it, so, so we've got a lot of digital efforts underway, and those are some of the reasons we do it.
0: I guess that's a challenge, right? Because there is this upfront investment for benefits that will be there in the future as regulation catches up with a lot of these model t- technological tools that you're using. There's also the risk as well of being left behind if you aren't. your platform is not enabled to take advantage of these technologies. But at the moment, we kind of exist in a world where there are a number of different solutions out there. There's different consortiums being put together, different aspects of those consortiums are being participated in. Carl, you're you're one of those. You know, how do you give your clients comfort? And this would go for any any software as a solution, that your platform will be the one that is a solution in the future. And and, and how how should organizations think about preparing for this, which is a, as you say, Christine, a very Significant costs for them.
3: Uh, it's it's a great question. It's, it comes up a lot, right? I mean, I I would say that a few things. One is to look at, I mean, digitalization, bilateral dil- digitalization of, of data has been around for twenty years, right? APIs, you know, to two players, but now again with with um lately it's become the consortium and having the ability to have more players sharing the data, which gets a lot more powerful. I think for for any any platform to distinguish itself, A, it has to be future-proofed in terms of technology, right? If you're using, you know I mean? Using, and it doesn't necessarily have to be blockchain, right? But a distributed ledger technology, which is at the base of blockchain, you know, is a way of sharing. It's an elegant way of managing multiple databases, an expensive way, but required because, look at the geopolitical issues that are happening now, oh, have been happening for a long time. Data can't sit in a central place anymore right? So everyone has to own their own data. So a system has to be future-proof because some country is going to say the data has to stay in my country. And I think the second thing is, if anyone thinks they're going to take over the whole world and do everything, it's impossible. It's partnering. You know, A consortium can be a group of, for us, it's banks and corporates, but I mean, we deal with the trade finance aspect of it. We don't deal with shipping. We don't deal with Bunkering and monitoring, all these other things. There's trade is very complicated. And there's a lot of platforms out there that are specializing in different areas. And I think the, the key thing is to, to find, and like we do, is we we know we need to partner. We know we need to partner with other platforms to share that data. There's a lot of platforms out there that you can say you work with everyone. We're focused on working with platforms where we have a customer nexus, whether it's a corporate or a bank that says, I work with this platform, I'm work. i I'm working with Contour. I would like you guys to share those five sets of data back and forth a few times so we have more robust understanding of the transaction. It doesn't have to be on blockchain. APIs, as, as Christian said, APIs work fine, right? So it can be a blockchain system, it can be a non-blockchain system, it can be you know, a, a legacy system. Right, So it's a journey and it's going to be working legacy systems with the new systems, but partnering is going to be the key to bringing all the plethora of this data in. There's just so much there, so much different areas of expertise. We work on trade finance. We're not specialized in any industry because we don't think we can do that. We will focus on the trade finance stuff.
4: I think a couple of things, Carl, I'll just build on that, apologize if I may, that a couple of things Carl said um, really resonate. And that is is um, when you start to embark on this digital journey, there's a lot of ways that you can do it. APIs is the easiest and most people are adopting those distributed ledger technology and even blockchain. And what we've seen when we look at the trade space, as we're saying, it is, it's, it's multifaceted. So while blockchain might be the most ideal that we aspire to, when we look at something like an e-bill of lading. The uptick there is is going to be a bit of a journey. So when we talk with clients about a digital journey, a couple of, of themes really start to bubble up. And one of those is the platform or is the, the digital capability scalable? So can I use it across commodities? Can I use it across regions? Can can I scale this and just and and will it really work for my company? And the second speaks to something, Paul, that's near and dear to your heart, and that is how user-friendly is it? So how difficult is it to implement and then how difficult is it to learn to use? What types of skill sets am I going to have to need on staff to really leverage this platform and get the most out of it? And we know that the skill sets are changing and moving more towards data, and we've mentioned that already, Uh, but you still want something that's very intuitive, very user-friendly, doesn't take hours of training or programming to use. And so those are two factors that we see that are really coming into play when people talk about adopting a digital platform in any part of their organization.
0: Yeah. And I want to return uh, toward the end, the human element to this, because these obviously are not only expensive individuals to building this, but also the commodity sector is competing with every other sector for this talent and solution. You can see the benefits. So, you know, this Nirvana-like state in the future where, you know, we've we've dramatically lowered the, the risks and the costs of financing and executing on commodity trades, because we've really cracked with this nut, however we do that in the various partnerships. It seems to me that at the moment, though, as a trading organization, you can't afford at the board level to ignore all of these solutions out there because they will come quickly, and that is the direction we're going. Scott, maybe you can talk to you know, your experience of how organizations need to think about this and what that means for, for the discussions at the leadership level.
2: Yeah, certainly. As, as I alluded to earlier, I mean, our main function is processing the raw material into a finished product, into a food product. And so that's always our, going to be our core focus and our largest investment. And so when we talk about digitalization, we're not necessarily talking about taking data and making trade decisions on that. That's probably a small part of what we use it for. We use a lot of it in our operations Trying to reduce uh, downtime, trying to reduce maintenance time by predicting using these these digital tools to predict when a machine is likely to fail, how many hours has it been working needs to have some downtime, or is this is this equipment likely to break ahead of that equipment? So. Well, that's where we've been spending a lot of our folks and a lot of our time and, and money on, on the operational side and some of the and improving the efficiencies within the mill. So, should we run this type of line or should we run that type of line for that product? Those have been uh, really good, these AI tools in, in mills, which I never thought we would, we would be seeing, but we're using them and we are seeing the benefits of them. And that's, that's really been uh, an interesting journey the last couple of years for us.
0: Yeah, thank you. Carl, where did data, Carl Larry, where the data providers? sit in this world supporting you know the these post trade platforms
1: well i think that when you talk about data providers what you're talking about is just uh, we mentioned it earlier about clean data about about efficient data about data that i don't have to take time to find myself because i have to worry about other things and you know and other issues that are going around uh, you know within the industry or, or on the trading day you know that may be so i think it's it's you know there's going to be a need for third party data but there's also going to be a need for that third-party data to step up and really just kind of like uh, become more efficient than they already are. So there's always room for there. There's always room for more. It's just a matter of, like I think Scott mentioned earlier, you know, how do you get rid of the static? How do you get rid of the white noise? Bring in more data that's more efficient and can get me from A to B faster.
0: Yes. There are risks here as well. Certainly, this is, is the, uh, the intent is that you'll become more compliant, that you're less human error. But as the world becomes more digitized and there's more the Internet of Things, having cameras in warehouses, as prosaic as that sounds, does introduce risk to organizations that have historically, you know, that's been one of their, their, you know, their main secrets, whether it goes back to tea chests in Hong Kong 200 years ago to today. Christine, how are you seeing that play out, the willingness of organizations to provide you access to, to their, their warehouses and so forth?
4: Sure. What resonates for me as you were as you were um, asking the question was uh, cybersecurity and and some some of those aspects. So, uh, but I think th- I think the heart of your question is maybe slightly different. So, cybersecurity is certainly becoming more and more impactful. But then also, then as you say, there's this line of transparency where we find that that borrowers with their financial institutions want to be transparent. They want to share openly um, between each other for so the financial institution what they can and can't do and deliver and what they expect and then the borrower wants to have a great relationship with their lenders and, and to be very transparent and upfront. And so when you have that sort of setup then you do have to ask you know how much is too much because in the end the financial institution is not running the trading firm. It's not our responsibility to review all of the documents and decide if the accounting is being done well. That's, that's the borrower's responsibility. And so at some point, you're right, there is this, there has to be an acknowledgement of what I'm using the data for and what my role is versus um, what I would act, um, ask my borrower to do for me in terms of analysis or clarifying information. So I, I think that's something that is, I feel will be pretty easy to work out. I think it's just an open conversation and an open acknowledgement. It's certainly a topic, though, where you have to be careful that um, as a financial institution, and I'm thinking of some of the compliance aspects. That have accelerated in our in our space and commodities in the last ten years. Where you know, where is the line between with a with a financial institution in terms of reviewing and and um, and getting into the heart of a trader's business versus the trader having their own risk management policy and following it, and us expecting them to do that and execute against it. And so, I, I think that's probably where the line is. And then just coming back again, cybersecurity, um, so so important and increasingly so. And we saw that um, with Colonial, where things can be pretty catastrophic.
0: Just staying with you, Christine. So one of the challenges that the commodities sector faces in general is a lack of financing. And part of that is because it's such a specialized arena. And secondly, because there has been, as you've alluded to, scandals in Asia in the last couple of years, there's been sanctions. And that is a very big topic right now that have impacted where, where banks can operate. Does Getting this right for an organisation both increase their chances of being financed or lower their cost of financing, and will it also bring more? I don't you know your competitors, I guess, but more banks into the sector to support a sector that is going through incredible volatility and there are margin calls all over the place.
4: Yeah, sure, it's an interesting question, I, and I can't speak for all the financial institutions. Like like you said in last in the last few years, we've seen institutions take a look at their strategy in the space and and perhaps realign what they intend to do in the space. Um, We, Citibank, entered uh, the commodity industry 10 years ago. This is, in fact, our 10-year anniversary this year. And we we had a strategy as well. We had a framework and a way that we approached the industry and financing it, and we were very clear on what we would and wouldn't do. And that's served us quite well. And, And I think it has continued to, especially in the last couple of years with the volatility and challenges, and we're leaning on that right now, um, this week as well, very relevant. But we want, we want to stand by our clients. We're trying to come through, even in, um, even in Ukraine, we've still got folks that are there and trying to come through for clients, even today. So that's been our mantra. Every other financial institution has to decide their own. And then circling back to the data part of the question, I think, and this might be interesting for Scott to comment on, but I think most traders would say, That anytime you can have a transparent conversation with a financial institution and you can really help them understand your business and what you're really doing, and you run a solid business, that can only help you with financing. That can only enhance the ability of you to receive financing, absent some some challenging capital structure that might preclude it. But having accurate data and being able to deliver data in a timely fashion can only help you.
0: Yes, uh, well, Scott, please, please, uh, please respond.
4: Yeah,
2: definitely. I think that that's that's very true. Christine says. I think, and that, that that comes with the relationship with the with the financial company or the bank, and and you both trust in each other that the information you share will be kept within house. But if you're not open and honest, then you're really not going to get the full tools and availability from that financial organisation. So, yeah, we, whenever we enter into a partnership or look to enter into a partnership, we're as honest as we can be. Because otherwise, what's the point of doing? it? I think just going back on the banks and, and, the, and the financial institutions and the cities, the banks have been around for, say, 10 years. And we, we, I know a few people there and we have some very good uh, contacts with them. My concern with the banks and that come back in is more from the talent poaching side of the business because they were back in it 20 years ago. They took a lot of people, offered them some very nice salaries. They went out of it again after a few years, and now they possibly looking to come back in with the volatility and see some of the, the big profits that the old established trading houses of Cardwell Bungie ADM made. And that's my bigger worry for them coming in. I'm happy that there maybe's more finance around, but what? where do they come? Who do they poach in terms of talent to run their trading desk? That, that's more uh, I'm looking at uh, from a risk perspective, not the markets so and much of the banks coming in, because there are always going to be some big players in the market that we that we have to deal with, but taking talent is, is tough to replace. You you've got the wrong moderator there then. Um,
0: <laughs> Carl, do you see thanks for that Scott? You know, and I think that's a that is a, a risk, right? And that's you know where where is the line between the commodity finance business and if they choose to build commodity trading platforms, given their risk management capabilities and their vast amount of data processing that all of these banks have the capability for. Carl, do you see platforms like yours, Condor, is it attracting? Will it attract new financiers to the sector, given the level of comfort you can potentially provide them on the risks in the trading that they're backing?
3: We do see there's a lot of of, uh, interest in financing trade finance and and, uh, you know non-bank financial institutions or funds or family offices interested in, in, in financing that. Obviously, they don't understand the business like the banks do and uh they're going to probably take some talent as well but also they are interested in financing and they're also looking at it as a starting it's a greenfield beginning business how to make it paperless from day one so having a digital platform having these digital connecting different digital platforms to be able to to assess the risk i think is 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 definitely an opportunity for more financing to be out there Now, at the same point, I think that the banks have the experience. The banks know how to assess the risk better. And I I think the tools that are being made available, the milestones in a transaction that are now in the data points, I think the banks are going to be able to think new finances will be able to use those. Basically, I think that the banks will be able to take those and again, go back to the risk departments. I used to be in risk myself and think of it in a different way. Right. The old models you know, need to be transformed because you have new data points. And I think the banks are still going to have an opportunity to, to have more, I guess, dynamic or innovative financing because they have the historical background, they understand the business better. So I think it's an opportunity for a bigger market period, more, more financing. But I think the banks and more experienced players out there are going to have the opportunity to do a lot more new things.
0: Yeah. So moving forwards, thanks for that, Carl. Going to call Larry. So we, we live in a world where obviously these trading decisions are getting more and more automated. The, there's this hyper liquidity that, uh, that this, this event notes. Ultimately, we, have to, we, we can only process historical data. And I just think about the last three years with the Black Swan events, to use that term loosely, we've had COVID. We now have the events in Ukraine, And the consequential sanctions and disruption of of global trade as a result, is there? You know, are we unwittingly introducing more risk into these businesses when there's an over reliance on data and that leading into decision making? That means that actually, the world of commodities, you know, so true in the world of commodities, event driven actions are perhaps being introducing more risk into the system because you don't have, you know, the the the, the veterans on the trading desk, the human factor that understand, you know, or, or can potentially mitigate the volatility of the results. I mean, Carl, can you talk to that a bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, trading is all, you know, you could uh, forgive uh, Dennis Gartman saying, you know, buy high, sell higher. And many people might think trading is very simple, but really the biggest trades that you make money on, the biggest trades you lose money on is about managing risk and controlling volatility. And so when you look at historicals, you can't compare volatility to this month to 2008. You can't, you can't compare, you know, price action, uh, or, you know, or the risk that we had back in 2008 back to the risk now. I was having a co- uh, conversation yesterday about this is that, and Christine, you probably understand too, is that banking back in 2008 was all in. And Scott, you just said as much too. You know, we had so many traders that, you know, came from oil trading shops or gas trading shops into banks. That was 2008. Then in 2014, 15, you had banks that were supporting credit, you know, giving credit to all these EMPs. Well, this time around, we haven't seen credit that, that wide open or that, that easy to get to. Now, uh, Carl, you mentioned that also that, you know, there's other companies that are trying to be specialized to it. So when you talk about data and you look at regression or historical, everything is shifted, not just the market, not just the volatility, not just the risk, but where it all builds up from. So you know, it's hard to look at that data and say, okay, we're going to compare these to this. It just doesn't work. So really what we're looking at now is a lot of real-time data and maybe even more focus on forecasting data rather than, you know, historical. And, you know, it's it's just, it's fascinating. Paul, you said as much, you know, the last two, three years have just been, you know, uh, you know, uh, unprecedented, you know, for, for a better word, you know? And so I think that what really matters now is that, you know, we're looking at, at real-time data with an, uh, an eye forward, and, you know, a smaller look backwards.
0: Yeah, and Scott, thanks for that, Carl. Scott, maybe you can talk to that as well. I mean, one of the things that has happened over the last decade, but certainly relevant today, is systematic traders, algorithms trading, even if the fund, you know, you traders trading the fundamentals, events and so forth, also face having to compete against those algorithms, at least for a period of time, and the risk that introduces to the system. You know, Scott, how is, The flip side of digitalization, the the double-edged sword of it, how has it made life more challenging in the trading arena?
2: I'm not sure if if it's made it more challenging um, because it's created a lot of liquidity for us. So in some markets where we, we, we didn't have the liquidity that's come in, I think what we've realized is we're never going to get rid of it. It's going to be there, so we have to work alongside it. And some of our investment has been in with some of these AI companies to at least see what patterns they are following. And so we can work alongside them or... We can say, right, they're doing that because of that. Fundamentally, we don't believe in this is going to happen um, because at the end of the day, in our market, we're dealing with supply demand and fundamentals will always win out in the end. And so we say, right, we step back. We're happy with our numbers. We've done our research. And this is happening because of X, Y, and Z. Let's step back. Let's, that's that's where our risk management and our confidence and our abilities come into play. They're doing that. They are not on. wrong. So I think we're trying to utilize the strengths of the AI to help us in certain situations but at the end of the day we rely on our fundamental analytics and and the experience which we still have within the group which is a very good point you, you raise that we have to keep building on that getting people incentivized to join our industry to to want to walk out on a field of corn or wheat and, and check it out before they go and buy it but also to Larry's point we've definitely reduced the time horizon we look backwards now we used to go back five ten years we probably go back three five years More for a benchmark to see does today's values look really expensive or is this a bargain? And yeah, forward prediction, particularly for us, if we can get an insight on yields, on quality, that's really key for us, a key advantage for us on crops. So yeah, a mixture of everything. Um, But you can't beat them, join them, I guess, is probably my last quote on on that with the AI guys. They're not going away.
4: From a lender's perspective, when you think about not having a human element in data, just running AI, the AI. Is incredibly attractive for all the reasons that Scott uh, described, but but also uh, it's really what Scott, how you describe using it is is exactly what lenders want to hear. I mean, the last thing we want to hear is that someone comes in, turns the computer on in the morning, and then goes to the pub. I mean, not not that you do that at eight a.m., but or goes play golf, whatever the case may be. And there's nobody around all day because that's not really what the where the power is. And That's not really, I think, where the vision is in leveraging this data. It's around becoming more sophisticated. A quarter cent is a lot of money in this business. And so it's around squeezing that quarter cent or getting the most out of your liquidity, taking advantage first of a, of a dislocation somewhere. That's really where this, this data can really help in the trading business. It's not around turning your brain off and not using, not using your, your experience. It's around using the experience is having more accurate, more more real-time data, and then overlaying that experience to take better advantage of what might be in the market and using your logistical uh, footprint in a better way and i think that's that's really what we look for when we look at uh, data in our borrowers and that's really what we're hoping to see come out of it
0: yeah it's interesting isn't it because there has been this sort of emphasis and focus on its data analytics its you know it's getting in young traders who have those backgrounds the coders and so forth but it's when the the mill breaks down or the the sanction comes down or the refinery mm-hmm. breaks that you know, that that ability the human relationships are what is crucial to enable you know organizations to to manage risk. And maybe there will be an emphasis on people who've got had longer term careers in the commodities world, who've seen a couple of super cycles. Just staying on that, Scott, I imagine your answer is very much yes, but how is this human traders are still crucial? And how is this perhaps changing and shifting the role that traders have with all of these tools at their, their fingertips?
2: I'm not sure it's it's changing. It's, it's just given a, a little bit of a different focus, in all honesty. And as as Christine said, it's we have all the the tools and the information out there, and it's just assimilating it. And and that's where experience does come into account because if, if you've seen these things a few times, which unfortunately I have been in the trade for so long, you can kind of okay that happened then that happened then. Maybe not the same thing can repeat, but it's very similar patterns happen in our commodity markets and in life. Unfortunately, history has a habit of repeating itself. And so that, I think that's that's where it comes down to it. And, and a broad background, I think that's the other thing. Data analytics is great. Um, and we, we try to look for people as well that don't just come from university, but have had some experience of life and have met other people and travelled a bit because the world's getting smaller and smaller and you need to have been around and seen people – understand different cultures, different ways of life, particularly as, as, as say, Russia, Ukraine become bigger, exporters of grain, South America's big in all season, then you've got the big Asian market for the demand. You need to have some awareness of how they operate and how they work versus the conventional way that you, you've been used to working. And, and so that you can't get from a program. Um, so that's that's certainly where the, the human side of it comes into play. and It comes with experience and, and, and unfortunately that takes time. You just can't get that overnight.
0: Carl, how, Carl Wegner, many of these platforms have sort of existed or been built in a crucible of free trade and relative geopolitical calm. How can organizations like yours and in these very efficient systems manage and deal with the real events of a highly volatile world that we currently live in?
3: Yeah, I I think it's a, a good point. Again, I think the one key thing is data and data privacy, and countries are going to be more and more... Protective of their state-owned companies, of their data of any companies in that country, and the ability to, to manage that whether it's you know on a using blockchain, using you know different data centers. How do you manage to synchronize data? Because the world is not going to get more open. It's going to get more open in terms of sharing data, but it's not going to get more open in terms of data privacy and and uh, and being able to share it. I think corporates are are more and more worried as well, right? That the data is a very valuable commodity in itself. I think that there's, um, you know, there's looking ahead, but I think having this data, these, you know, these, uh, think of the example, Scott and Christine are talking about, I mean, you're not, you don't necessarily need AI, that level of AI. Sometimes it's just verifiable data that can be consolidated quickly, right? Can you at a push of a button say, what are all my outstandings in Ukraine as of last night, right? Or does it take you two weeks to figure out? I used to formulate a bank and, uh, you know, banking for 25 years, I remember to get the exposure to a country, it took about two weeks, right? Well, that's, that was was not acceptable then. It's certainly not acceptable now, right? And I think having that kind of data to make decisions, and it's nothing to do with AI, it's just being able to consolidate and, and and coordinate the data is going to be huge for being able to manage market disruptions or or events like things happening recently.
0: Yeah, that's a very good points, Carl Larry. Do you want to comment on that?
1: I guess right now it's just not a better time, to, no better time right now than just explaining about what's happening, what what's going on right now. I mean, when you see the you know the shocks and and the you know the waves of trading right now, and it's it's just hard to get your head around. I mean, these movements in oil and in grains, uh, and it's you know it, it's you, there's so much need for for data to make sure that. You are making the right decisions. Why you're making the right decisions, and why you're not doing anything, or why you are doing something. So, I think just you know, right now the reality is that uh, you know we're evolving into this data, to more digitalization. But we're evolving because we need to. We have to. And you know, uh, no better example than we are today.
0: Yeah, only making companies more responsive. Christine, I mean, can you get? your take on that as well I imagine this is a, a crucial moment for you to be able to understand what exactly clients positions and, and have confidence in in that data
4: absolutely that uh, was the first thing we did last Thursday was was uh, canvas and pull together our our exposures and and uh, see see where we had those exposures what they were who they were with and then what you really want to do and what the regulators expect banks to be able to do is is see the full gamut, at the end to end so trace back as many steps and and that's increasingly becoming a requirement. Oh, pardon me for the traders as well, is to be able to come back. And so the trade may have, uh, have cycled three or four times, but you still have to know where that kernel of grain or that drop of oil came from. And data, data helps us with that. We wouldn't be able to do that without the data. Um, interestingly, when I think about the advantages, a couple others that we hadn't actually t- touched on that really, I think, are also encouraging this trend towards data, and that is sustainability. Sustainability. So if anyone has spent any time on sustainability or, has, uh, or, or has, has worked on that sort of initiative in their organization, they know that one of the biggest challenges is setting measures. And to set good measures, you have to gather the data to be able to report on the measure. And so that means the data has to exist. And when you start that effort, you realize how dirty your data is. And that takes us back to the comment we made at the very beginning um, when we started this conversation, which is you have to have clean, reliable data that you actually believe in. And so I think that's also um, encouraging people to invest in digital. And then in addition, particularly in the treasury space, the role of, of CFOs and finance people and treasurers within trader organizations, and certainly for us as a financial institution, the role that the business expects us to play has really evolved in the last, I'll spread it out and say the last 10 to 15 years, where it used to be we, we maybe not even on the same floor. We were somewhere in a closet. You know, crunching the numbers. Maybe when the settlement guys came in at the end of the day, you know, sort of like, oh, you just you don't need to know what's really happening. And now, if you're a finance person in your trade in a trading company, you're expected to actually know just as much as what's going on on these desks as the traders themselves to, to help the business anticipate liquidity needs, and that is better facilitated with data. And so, the expectation of how treasurers will leverage data has really evolved, and that's where products. Like Carl Wagner's product um, is really going to, I think, help create these data lakes and help create the tracing of data end to end that will then give uh, the partners, uh, the the partner of the trader, which is the finance person or the, the head of credit, the tools that they need so that they can keep up with the business and even start to make suggestions. Yeah,
0: it's interesting you mentioned both those elements, I think, are highly relevant. Just mentioning the ESG side. The, one of the biggest trends, at least I see from my conversations that I have on the podcast, is this notion of decommoditizing commodities. That, you know, we're going from the soybean down to its constituent parts. We're going from the metal down to its carbon attributes or power consumed, whatever it might be, which seems that, you know, again, this idea of organizations now critically having to prepare for the future, you know, if you're not able to, con- to, to, provide those attributes or track those attributes, that could leave an organization behind, or it might you know, uh, it might not unlock financing available. Is, is that something your organizations are preparing for? Maybe, Christine, you could perhaps just follow up on that.
4: Sure. Just say again that, that you're right. And key to the whole conversation, as we've said throughout, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a theme within the industry, is to really make an effort to be transparent and forthright about what a company is doing with your lenders. Guarding your confidential competitor and competitive data is, is fine, but you want to be transparent with your partners. And particularly when we talk about things in the sustainability space, we want to be very transparent about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so, as you say, Paula, just breaking it down to the smallest piece and being able to track everything so that when we present that we've made an achievement in a sustainable space, then people understand why, why we're seeing it that way. And they, they can put it in context instead of having a, a negative reaction to, to someone's sustainability goals. And so I think there's, there, there's probably, it's a, it's a more complex topic than that because it has to do with education and understanding the flow. But I think data plays a very key role. And at the heart of that is, again, having clean data that you rely on that you can report against. And then understanding that that developing that data is a journey. And, it, and I think it is a journey. So sustainability in, is a journey in and of itself. But so is someone's movement towards um, better data and a better data platform.
0: It's also, you mentioned there, the changing nature of people's roles as a consequence of digitization. This is an extraordinarily expensive task to embark on, but a necessary one and to talk about how being left behind is a huge risk. Um, but it has changed people's roles. We've seen that, we've seen that in the elevation of the CIO um, in organizations. You mentioned the changing nature of a CFO. You know, it's 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 a much more complex task now in terms of talking to financiers, talking to the business. You know, it's 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 certainly that, that role has changed. Carl Wegner, how have you seen the individuals you interact with on a daily basis, the C-suites of your clients? their roles change and and, and what recommendations do you have for organizations when they think about you know who they need interacting with you with the banks and and, and other partners
3: yeah that's a, that's a great question and i think we started out i mean we started we went live about a year ago right and we had a, a, a year of beta before that and the first organizations that really worked with us you know on the on the, the corporate side so banks were, were founded by the banks but were the, the ones who had a CIO or CTO or CFO who was, you know, a focus on innovation, right? I want to do something digital. I want to innovate. And that was fantastic. Now, sometimes that worked out well because they wanted to innovate and implement. Sometimes they just wanted to innovate just to do a proof of concept. And great. I've ticked that box. When everything's solved in 10 years, I'll come back. Right. That was about two or three years ago. Now we see folks, A, you can see all the surveys, you know, what 75% of of C suites are saying we're gonna have to digitize to some, you know, to some extent. We're gonna have to do to do more of it. I think that the 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 big conversation I have with a lot of them is everyone wants everything now. And I think Christine alluded to this, and it's it's a journey. And I think the best thing is you're not going if you're gonna wait for everything to be perfect, well then. Wait, right, and then you're going to be too late. The risk is, is too late, and in a, you know, technology is a is a journey. If the example I think about, you know, the first apps for your phone for banking, in the first time, all they could do is check bank balances. But people didn't say, "Wait a minute!" Until I can do FX and twenty two currencies, I'm never going to use that app, right? They said, "Let's learn from this." That in that 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 the feedback was given to the developers. They said, "Okay, what do I need? You know, the need on the app next, right? Now I need to transfer funds. I need to do, you know. So it's 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 evolved over the last ten years of a of a banking app, and any sort of digitalization is going to be the same thing. And international trade is a lot more complicated than checking your balances, you know, on your personal balances on an app. So I think that the key takeaway for is, it is a journey, and the sooner you start them, the more you'll learn. And that's getting training your people, getting new people." And learning in different divisions, and maybe look at certain areas, certain corridors it doesn't have to be everything at once and learn as you go along
0: yeah don't let the uh, the, the perfect be the enemy of the good as the uh, I think well said one of the challenges is people how does the commodity sector attract the talent that many other sectors are competing for and you know i I feel that that also comes with a really important ESG message of. If you want to be solving sustainability challenges the world faces, there's no better place to start than here. How, how Scott, to, to you and your organization, you know, how tough of a, a road to hoe is it to get an organization focused on digitalization and its future and then attract the talent to do it?
2: That's a good point. Uh, I'm still chuckling about Christine's comment about the financial people i remember 20 years ago when anybody from finance came up into the trading desk it was a case of hydrogen trade pad and don't tell them what we're doing but now we can't we can not work without them so it's definitely changed but to your question i think what we're doing and it's made slightly easy if we take away our core business which is milling for, for flour we've moved into the animal protein sector the, the sort of vegan side of the business i think young the younger generation have a natural are interested in that themselves, they're they're the demographic that's really pushing for that. And so as we've invested in that, we're we're seeing a lot of young people coming out of university who want to come into that. With that is the is the ESG, the sustainability side of it. And as a company, we have always been sustainably minded because we have very small margins. And so we 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 really try to minimize our waste. We try to reuse whatever we can. And again to, to Christian and Carl's point is we've got the data but we have 24 mills and seven countries all using different systems and it's now how do we use the technology and, and and that to put that together into clean usable data then to say right this is our sustainable uh, path this is where we're going this is where we're aiming to head the younger generation coming through conceded what we want to do. Added to that with the with the plant based protein uh, and the vegan food that we produce, and that's that's really been a, uh, a surprise to us. The number of people that want to get into our industry, whereas probably five eight years ago, it was probably people my age who didn't have much else to do, couldn't write a computer programs, said, you know what, let's let's try and trade wheat and corn so yeah that's been the change is, is the change in dietary requirements from the from the younger generation um mm-hmm. and it's, it's been and it's been exciting because they're, they're showing us things and they and, they're, and they've got new ideas that we didn't have before so we are just utilize them as well so it's it's been a real big value add for us as a company
0: yeah i think one of the challenges organizations faced that were the first movers in this our technology practices hc group has been was the one of our busiest last year and continuing to this year is the commodity trading world is looking to those first movers for for talent for an inspiration on what to do. So there's even you know that, that challenge now, not just looking for traders, but looking for these people who have that commodities expertise in the tech with the technology capabilities. And there are only so many of them. Maybe I know we're coming to the awards, at the end of our time. Carl Larry, you kicked us off. Maybe you can give us a, a final word on your uh, the commentary around you know how organizations can position themselves for this, not only Technologically speaking, but also from the the human resources they need.
1: Uh, you know, it, it's just being forward thinking, being prepared. Uh, like I mentioned before, it's it's about you know managing risk and controlling volatility, and that's what we always have to keep in mind. It, it's not it's not that easy. It's never easy, but there are ways to manage the manage the you know, the the disruptions.
0: Perfect. Thank you very much. We've got one question there, but we don't have time for it. But thank you very much to the panelists for a really interesting discussion, lots of topics covered and lots of food for thought. But obviously, I think that the, the key message is this is happening, this is coming, and organisations and people need to need to be prepared for it. So thank you again for your time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and Human Capital, a search firm dedicated to the commodities sector, go to www.hcinsider.global where you'll find more original content on the commodities sector and more details on our offerings as a search firm and our locations around the world. Thanks again for listening.